Welcome to Behavior Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Given the strange and turbulent times that we are living through, Kurt and I decided to reach out to some of our favorite behavioral science researchers and practitioners to get their take on the novel coronavirus pandemic that is shaking the world. These special edition episodes will explore a variety of different aspects of the crisis and our response to each of those aspects through a behavioral lens. We know that you may feel overwhelmed by the crisis already. It seems every news story, every social media thread, every phone conversation that we have is focused on some aspect of the pandemic right now. While the news and updated information are essential, we're going to take a different tact. We want to try to understand the science behind our reactions and our behaviors and how science can help us cope and move beyond the current crisis. In each episode, we talk with a different behavioral science expert and get their best thinking on an aspect of the crisis. So sit back, take a deep breath, and listen to our special series on behavioral science and the coronavirus pandemic. Kristen Berman, welcome to Behavioral Grooves. Great to be here. We are excited to have you here. So uh, for, for our listeners who don't know who you are, can you give them a little background of who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is Kristen. I'm a behavioral scientist, I'm founder of Irrational Labs with Dan Ariely. And the premise of Irrational Labs is really bridging the gap between the academic um, world and industry. So we work with organizations, nonprofits, um, some cities in order to bring behavioral science to life um, and really into the hearts and minds of people within companies that can scale and make a large impact. We primarily focus on health, wealth, and happiness. So this means nudging people to save a little bit more, eat a little bit better, um, make big health uh, decisions. And uh, also started a lab called Common Sense Lab, which is Duke University's financial decision-making lab. Um, both of these these groups do about the same thing with research and consulting around behavioral science. <laughs> but but there are some, and you've, you've co-founded a lot of things. You've had a very busy career so far. I've been very lucky. Um, yeah, so I uh, started as a product manager and met Dan Ariely um, kind of like 2007-ish um, and really... Um, was excited about the the what behavioral science offered the product world. Um, you know, product managers, marketers, designers don't have a lot of tools to understand decision making, and behavioral science is this just treasure trove of insights um, that can unlock a different way of thinking. Um, that uh, I, I was lucky enough to work with Dan on um, throughout my career. Fantastic. Well, we wanted to talk uh, a little bit about the responses in the COVID-19 and some behavioral science insights on that. And you actually wrote a, a Medium article that is uh, Work in Corona Era, Why Remote Work Makes People Less Productive and Then What to Do About It. So do you want to give our listeners a little overview of what your, your premise of that was and some of the insights that you found? Yep. It's a contrarian viewpoint. I think we all want to think that remote work makes us more productive since um, we can work when we want, how we want, and this like ultimate freedom is uh, helps us uh, work better. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the observation is that um, really when you're working alone by yourself, we're moving work from what we call the public sphere, sphere which is you're at work, you say hello to people, they see you, um, you're accountable to them to a private sphere. 
And in the private sphere, things don't look well, don't look like that great for habits and behavior change. Like, you know, if you've ever tried, if you've ever tried to meditate, you can like deeply understand that, um, you know, behavior change at the habit level is incredibly difficult. Um, and, and work, we accomplish amazing things. You know, we, we do really hard things. Um, we launch big things. We try new things and we work together collectively. Um, and it's quite amazing uh, what we can accomplish together. And so I think the main observation is just let, let's talk about that move and let, let's not assume that that's um, good or, or all good or all bad, but, but it's definitely going to change our behavior. Yeah, we've talked to a number of people uh, it recently that bring up this invisible behaviors versus visible behaviors. And that's what I, you're, you're talking about here is this public space versus this private space and the, the ability to have that accountability in a visible setting that isn't always there in the private setting. So how can we get, how can we overcome that? How are some, what are some tips that we can take away from this to move and be more accountable either to ourselves or to others in this time of distance, distance working? Yeah. So I think one observation and David Lipson does this, made this nice with the idea of private paternalism, which is, um, if you're a manager or somebody kind of designing a system and you want to promote accountability, it's not going to go over well. Mm. We, we don't really take well to the idea that we need accountability and somebody watching over our shoulders. Um, and so kind of that's the opposite intuition. It works really well, but we, we don't really understand that it works well. Um, so in order to kind of hack that, we want to make it more fun and interesting. You know, our team does uh, weekly or um, daily lunch meetings where we just have lunch together. Now, there's no like, we should check in on things, but it's really nice to see each other's faces um, and, and just have discussions. Um, and this is not about, you know, looking over people's shoulders, but we've made it fun. Yeah. So you're not really focused on a, per, a product. You don't have a productivity objective, so right. to speak, in, in, in something like that. But do you think it boosts productivity? I, I think it boosts pro productivity in the way that communication and coordination does. Um, just like, you know, when you're moving something into the public sector, you kind of talk about it more. Um, people see what you're doing, uh, and, and these are these are good things, uh, especially in, in in the work context, um, to get people on your side. Do you think that this could? Um, I guess I'm thinking about Zoom fatigue, you know, which is like becoming a real thing. People are just really getting worn out by it, and uh, and yet at the same time, they're also getting to know their coworkers better because they get to see their dogs and their kids and all the living conditions. And oh my gosh, you actually have that crazy painting behind you on the wall, and how would you ever buy that? Or yeah. you know, I mean, there's, yeah. there's all these kinds of things that we're learning about each other. Are are there some pros? Are there some benefits to working from home? Um, for sure. I, I think um, I, I think in general, this has probably allowed us to dream bigger and be more creative about our work styles um, to really kind of listen to what works and what doesn't for how we approach getting stuff done. And I think giving that more attention versus kind of just going through the slog of nine to five is, is definitely a good thing. Um, and I think, you know, similarity bias is real. So if you see somebody's home and you say, oh, they they look like me and maybe they'll, you'll like them more. Um, obviously the, the opposite can happen too, is uh, if somebody's home doesn't look like yours, you realize that you may be more different than you thought. And I think Zoom <laughs> backgrounds give people the, the optimal small talk in between where you can comment on their background without having to judge their, their home. <laughs> yeah, there have been some really unique Zoom backgrounds that I have seen lately. My, my favorite one that wasn't part of a Zoom that I was in, but the guy did where he made a video of himself delivering himself coffee that he had in the back of his of his, of his Zoom. So people would be watching and 
he himself is bringing himself coffee. I thought yeah, that was just pretty great. pretty creative. Um, so with that, how how are what are uh, Tim brought up the Zoom fatigue, mm-hmm. and and I, it is a real thing. Uh, and I know in in your article and in other you, you've talked about keeping that Zoom, making sure the camera is on because we we seeing people's faces is a big part of that connection, that social aspect of it. Are there other things that you can think of though that we're doing um, that maybe we we could improve upon in order to make sure that we uh, weather the storm a, a little bit better, that we don't run into some of the fatigue pieces or anything else that might be helpful for people. Yes, for sure. One tip that, that we've tried to instill in, in companies that we work with is starting meetings five minutes uh, after the 30 or the hour. Mm. And that's to give people a five minute break uh, in between. So the wrong way to do that is if you try to end meetings five minutes early, because somebody will always find a way to add a yes, but or a yes, and uh, yeah. so the right way to do this is to start at five minutes late. And now you have a 25 minute uh, meeting and, and a break in between. So that would be one. And then second, I think there's probably different companies work different ways with hierarchy. And mm-hmm. um, when you don't really have great body language signals, you may rely on hierarchy in order to drive who talks when. This is is negative, uh, right? Because most of the time we want to get people's opinion for a meeting, otherwise we wouldn't have the meeting. And so as kind of a leader, you'd want to pull out people's opinions, just like you would in a normal meeting. But it's even more important if you don't have the body language cues uh, for people to know that it's okay to speak up. You know, we've talked to a couple of practitioners that are business leaders who both said that we might need to be thinking about business differently in the future, not just the work from home thing, but redundancy came up and optimization uh, came up. Both of, uh, we've had, you know, comments along the lines of maybe we shouldn't focus so much on optimization and, and these super crazy productivity numbers that maybe we should relax that a little bit. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts about that? What, what do you mean by productivity numbers? Do you mean like KPIs and like key performance indicators, or what are you speci- what are you specifically? Individual individual performance, mm. individual productivity of I can get X amount done in Y amount of time. That maybe we should be relaxing some of that to actually soften our expectations. I I, I think this is worth considering. I, I don't think I would say I would frame it a little bit differently, and that most people don't get enough time to think. Mm. In, in their current world. We have a lot of incoming um, and we're measured on how, how well we handle the balls and how many balls we handle and how many we drop. And so that, what that doesn't do is measure the time that we are able to put away our devices and think about a hard problem. Uh, and so I think there, there's probably some opportunity. And actually one of the things that COVID has provided uh, in general is an opportunity to stop and reflect and say, mm. are we doing this correctly? And it's probably, I think, obvious to most people um, that they get too much email and too many um, incoming in, in order to be as effective as they'd want to be. Um, so this yeah. could be a time to just pause and reflect and instill the things that probably many companies have thought about, whether it be you know coordinated no meeting days um, or mornings or mm. um, coordinated meeting times where you say we have meetings in the afternoon. Um, but but I think I think this problem of attention is real and probably decreases our productivity. Uh, in ways that are aren't measured, so it, we, it's measured when we send an email very quickly. It's not measured when we uh, spend an hour thinking about it deeply about a problem. Yeah, thinking about uh, that email that you're going to send for an hour to make sure that the email is appropriate and and drives the right responses and, and gives the information that is needed. 
Exactly. Yep. And, and, um, and being willing then to, to change your mind to say that some of this is, is solving hard problems. Like work is, is not just about kind of, you know, checking the to-do list off. Uh, although that feels really good. It's, it's about thinking deeply about problems. So one of the things we've talked to other people about, uh, deeply on this is that the emotions that are going on at work right now, uh, partly because of the crisis, partly because of work from home, partly because of social isolation, are all over the board and they're crazy. How are you seeing companies handling some of the uh, employee emotional sides of things and what can we do in order to help that? I think um, I think this is a larger question for COVID and, and companies may not be the best <laughs> place to, to, to solve it. Um, I'm currently thinking about how, how do we have language that allows uh, people who are single um, to form more like what we call core teams. Uh, so where you're creating the same rules that an immediate family would have with each other, but just uh, with people who may not live together, but, but they only see each other. Um, and I think there's just not enough norms around um, kind of the non-traditional non-nuclear family. Um, and I think with the work environment absorbs that pain. So if you're single and living by yourself, uh, or, or you're, you know, my dad is uh, living alone in Estes Park. Um, in general, this is this is painful, and, and the the only stimulation that people are getting is at work. And so then work has to heart has to carry a much heavier burden. Yeah, I uh, there's a, f- a friend of mine who um, just was talking and was giving a presentation the other day, but she was saying that the, you know, the only human touch that she's had in five weeks was her building manager to take a picture of of something on on her back that she couldn't. See. And she's yeah. like, going, it was you know five weeks, and it was this very involuntary touch, not involuntary, but you know this non you know, hug or anything like that. But she said, oh my gosh, it was amazing to actually feel a human touch in this time uh, yeah. when she hadn't had it. And so your idea of core teams, uh, expand core on teams. that a little. Yeah, yeah. Core so teams exp- is a play on the word, yeah. I get that, I get <laughs> <Okay>. that. <laughs> um, but ex- explain a little bit. I mean, are you, are you thinking that these would be groups of people who would say, all right, us three or four people, we're all single, we're going to get together and we're going to, uh, do you live in the same place or do you just meet together and, and have some of those physical contact areas or what, what, what is it in yeah. entail? So I'm, I'm a little biased. I live with 12 other people. So I've gotten, and we've had to obviously kind of be very creative slash strict on our, the way we make sure that we're all uh, not putting each other at risk. And mm-hmm. so we figured out kind of, you know, having like clear guidelines and keeping each other accountable and social norms uh, have really made us so no one's gotten sick and we all feel really safe. Uh, and so the, the idea of living with more people than you currently do or inviting people in is interesting and you'd want to make sure they go through a two-week quarantine by themselves or when available, get a test. But the other concept is many people don't have apartments where you could just invite other other humans to live with you. And that doesn't mean that you can't see them if you've only agreed to see each other. Mm. Uh, and so right now we don't have language norms, rules for this. So it's extremely difficult uh, to do. And, and I think mo- motion behavioral science basically, uh, or one big principle is around norms. And so without norms, uh, it's difficult for people to understand how to behave. And I think um, we're kind of getting, and uh, there's an article just written uh, in the New York Times on quarantine fatigue, we're getting to a point by which there's a slippery slope of people going to beaches and seeing other people. And and I think this is difficult because kind of an all or nothing, you can only, you know, your quarantine solo can only last for so long before people start uh, slipping up. 
And so what I, I think we need language and norms to avoid people slipping up, uh, you know, and obviously in, increasing the risk. Uh, if you were to put on a or grab your crystal ball and look into the future, what do you think are the social norms that might change? Or what do you think, what kind of behaviors that we're experiencing now might continue on into the future post the crisis? Great. So one cool thing that's happening now is we're, we're able more to talk about our suffering and our struggle um, because it's collective suffering and struggle. And so it's permissible for me to say this is a hard day. I'm struggling uh, to friends or even work colleagues that would never have really been acceptable before. So Dan Ariely and I um, do a lot of research on small talk or no small talk. Um, and this is the idea of basically pushing the boundaries of conversation to where you're normally, um, you wouldn't go. But if you can set the norm that it's okay, we're more likely to have the vulnerable conversation. Um, we did an experiment with Merits um, with their work uh, events and actually found some nice, a nice finding that uh, when you just tell people not to have small talk, uh, people get very uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. We don't really have a script for this. You know, if I were to say, let's not talk about small talk things, then like one of us has to go, great, like what the heck is it okay to talk about? Like, <laughs> do wow. I ask about your mother? Like how? Uh, and so the, the finding really is that people get uncomfortable when we just say that. But the thing that relieves the uncomfortability, uh, one condition we had cards where you tell people, here are the types of questions you can ask, use these cards to guide your conversation. And people talked about a, a deeper variety of topics um, and that more unusual topics when they were uh, using these cards. They also learn more about other people and themselves. So this is, you know, it, it's an interesting opportunity to basically change the norms of, of conversation. Uh, and if we think about one of the biggest drivers of probably relationship conversation is, is high up there. So, mm. uh, so by changing conversation, we can really have a meaningful impact on, on how deep our relationships are. And Obviously, the, the next connection is relationships drive happiness. So, so we're trying to get to the ultimate uh, ultimate goal. Well, there you go. The health, wealth, happiness idea that you guys are, are focused in on. That, that's always good there. So from a behavioral science perspective, uh, lots of states and local communities are starting to, to open back up. They're starting to go back into work. What do you see are some of the challenges from a behavioral perspective, not necessarily from, you know, the the prevention side of things, but some some of the behavioral impacts that are going to go on. Uh, have you thought about that at all? And, and what are your thoughts on that? I would say the the more or like one of the topics is just when we loosen something up, there's no clear rules of thumb for things. And so mm -hmm. I, I think and so far, social distancing has been a really an interesting example of how to create kind of very clear guidance. You know, I heard it's like six feet is like a surfboard in between you and somebody else. Like we know people don't understand six feet. And so can we give some analogies to what it actually is? Grocery stores that mark different areas, we understand that just-in-time information is more helpful than just telling people what to do. Yeah. So there have been some lovely descriptions of like how to do social distancing. And as we move into a world where maybe norms are less clear, rules are less clear, who goes back to work, who doesn't, um, if your husband goes back to work, what do you do if you're not comfortable? And so we're getting into much more of a gray area and, and it's, and those are difficult, more difficult to navigate. Um, so that's one. 
the, the second thing, and this is in general, um, there's something called the hurricane effect. The, the hurricane effect is, is basically describes the idea that after a hurricane, people are more likely to buy insurance. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the exact wrong time to buy insurance, right? <laughs> yeah, the hurricane just hit. I mean, maybe there's going to be another one in the same season, but likely, likely not. And so, um, but what, why is that? It's, it's because we have a strong availability bias. In the before the hurricane, the hurricane was far in the future, it was abstract. It happens to other people, not to you. As soon as a hurricane hits, it's much more concrete. We can recall it better and we're better able to act on that. And so I think we can kind of compare COVID to the hurricane, right? The hurricane is basically um, this disaster. It's taken away mu- many, you know, I think unemployment's now up to 14%, 30 million are, have filed. And so the financial shock that's happened uh, is real. Um, but it's also probably making people realize the opportunity they have to change their financial situation. Before it was far in the future, would never happen, would happen to somebody else. And now it's real. Um, so, and it was just reported that savings rates are at an all time high. So I think yeah. we're, we're topping 13%, uh, which we haven't hit since 1970. So th- the idea that basically it's possible that this kind of a disaster could actually motivate people to take beha- take proactive good behaviors for their future self. It's a really interesting thing to play with um, that it has, while it's terrible, it also has some some upside. Yeah. Well, I do have to note that you obviously are in California because you used a surfboard as the example yeah. for the six foot distance. Uh, I don't know if people in Minnesota would actually go, well, how long is that surfboard? But in California, it's it's absolutely perfect, right? So, yeah. uh, so if if uh, we think about things that are that are salient, right? That you you brought up the idea that lots of people have lost their jobs. So the salience in the in the crisis is about financial well being and not so much, you know, very. Very few people or most people do not know someone who has either come down with the virus or actually died. So is it possible then that that um, the general health and well-being on a on a health medical level, it could decrease or, or sort of not be impacted, whereas our our, our concerns over financial well-being might be increased? It's possible. I think the, um, the, the upside and maybe I'm an optimist, the upside for our, our health behaviors is also interesting. So um, generally, behavior change is very, very difficult. Uh, you know, if you want to adopt a new habit, uh, it, it's very difficult and most people fail. I think the, the average number of times people try to lo- lose weight is around seven in their lifetime if they've tried at least once. Um, and so it's very difficult. The thing that behavioral science kind of promotes is, is the, the, the hope uh, here is when we change our environment. So when we change our environment, all of a sudden our norms can change, our routines can change, our habits can change. Um, and there was a nice paper that showed uh, when you move somewhere, so when you relocate uh, somewhere, you're more likely to adopt new habits given a nudge uh, within the first three months. Now, after three months, it's going to be more difficult because your habits and your routines are, are pretty stuck. But in that kind of fun period of three months, you're forming new routines and habits. And I think this is the opportunity for COVID is that we are changing our norms. Our work has changed. Our, our, um, our home lives have changed. And so I hope maybe that people are creating new health habits, that we're cooking at home more. Uh, this can only be good for us. Um, you know, there's Zoom workout classes. This can only be good for us. Uh, you know, lower cost, um, easier to do. So I hope that basically our health habits, while, while difficult, may also kind of take the benefit of, of COVID. 
So is there a concern though, because uh, habits are also context-based, right? So that it, it it's in this environment, it's in this. And so when things go back to normal, it's no longer the, the context that we're in. And so that cooking from home, the Zoom classes online, you know, uh, yoga classes, we just, we go back to the old context because we're in now, now that new environment or that old environment as opposed to this new environment. Yeah, that's certainly a risk. Um, I, I think for something like cooking, you know, if you've never marinated something, it's very difficult to try to marinate something. So it's possible that it, <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, it's possible every recipe has marinade on it. It's like you have to take two hours and do it. It's like who has two hours in a normal day? But if you if you're breaking the seal and trying something for the first time, this is many. This is this is a barrier to behavior. Yes. It's just doing it once. And so I think we can kind of hope that if people try, if you try to marinate or you make a sauce once, like it's possibly going to be easier the next time because you understand that it's not as hard as you may have, have thought it was. Yeah. And anytime you you get out of that status quo bias, you've, you've, you've attempted it. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. I can do this now. All right. Well, good. Yeah. I'd like the anti-marinade uh, recipes to be much higher in, in Google search, search results. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, like particularly, yeah. Yeah, well, particularly like when I go and look for a recipe, like when we're supposed to eat in 30 minutes and, and I'm like going, all right, those <laughs> yeah. are out because yeah, two marinate. hours of marinating before even cooking. You know, no, not, that's not going to happen. So, so uh, just can you leave us with any tips, Kristen? Uh, of course. So I think one thing to think about is uh, many times in, in life, things just happen. It's very quick. And you're kind of going about life, not really uh, thinking about the next day as being different than the other. And, and in COVID times, this, this also is affecting us. But the reality is we have a pause button for COVID where much of our life has stopped. And I think the opportunity for most people is to stop uh, and evaluate the things going on in their life, their career, their relationships, their education. Um, Arash Labs, we just launched an online bootcamp um, with the idea that people have more time now than ever to learn a new skill. Um, and uh, so whether it be learning a new skill, looking at your credit cards to see what you can save money on subscriptions, just picking our heads up and, and pausing feels really important. And, and, and we're very lucky to be able to do that. Thanks so much, Kristen. We really appreciate your, uh, your, your time and your, your thoughts on this. This, is, this has been a, a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it's, it's been fun to be here as well. Welcome to the special edition grooving session where Tim and I groove on some ideas and concepts that were inspired by our conversation with Kristen. All right. What were you inspired by, Mr. Houlihan? Well, I've got a, you know, I've been a fan of hers for a long time since she was like a student at Duke and, you know, saw her doing, you know, videos with Dan. And so it, this was a little bit of, you know, fandom for me to get to you know, connect with her in person. So that was really just fun. I just thought that was just terrific. Okay. But you're talking about content, right? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, beyond <laughs> fandom, I mean, is, you know, it's like seeing the Rolling Stones and getting I to know. meet them, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh! Right, getting Did you to notice see how I used a reference that was in your time table. That was like, the Rolling Stones had hits in the eighties. <laughs> they did. Yeah, they they were Exile on Main Street. You know that that was a that was an eighties uh, album. So was it? Was start it, was me it, up. It was nineteen eighty one. Yeah. Oh, there you go. See. So. 
See, that's what I love about you. You can draw these references out of midair from nowhere. All right. So back to Kristen, back to this, okay. this, this show. Here we okay. go. The big, the big thing for me was that the crisis gives us time to reflect. Yeah. Or, or maybe better stated, it gives us the opportunity for reflection. And some of us are taking advantage of advantage and some are not, right? Yeah. And I think it's interesting what, the way that she talked about this is how things happen quickly, how, you know, typically how we're just get into our routines and things go and they're going, going, going. And this was a pause. It's like pressing the pause button yeah. for some people. You know, you and I, we've talked about this. We have not had necessarily a chance to pause because we somehow decided that we wanted to do hey, a series on <laughs> coronavirus. Know. And wow, we could just do this for a couple of weeks and it'll be done and we'll be over. And and yeah, and then it keeps going. And yeah, uh, seven Pandora's weeks later, box, Pandora's yeah. box has been opened and we've got to talk to all these great people, but it's been busy. Um, and I think for many people, it's been busy. I think there's a lot of people who would probably say that there isn't a pause here, that actually they're busier now. Many of yes. the frontline workers, uh, healthcare professionals, all of those who are in the, in the trenches. But for a vast majority of other people, it's a good time to take a break. Yeah, yeah. And it, I liked the way she talked about how attention is our greatest gift and that we're really having trouble managing it, right? Because because if we give our attention away, that's it's never coming back. It yeah. you know what, what once we give it away, it, it's gone. And that it negatively influences our productivity when we're when we're not very good at managing, you know, what we give our attention to. And and I and I thought that it was really great when she said, you know, we we tend to think about measuring productivity is how quickly we respond to the email when really we want, you know, it might be better to measure productivity by, by how well thought out or how well thought through the email was that we sent rather than how quickly we, we, we responded to it. This attention focus was before the pandemic, right? This was this, yeah, you know, we had been, inundated with uh, lack of focus and getting things done and productivity, productivity, productivity. And to a certain degree, I think that's, again, giving us the time to reflect that maybe we should take this opportunity that we have and reflect on, yeah, is productivity really a measure of how quickly we get back to somebody's email? Or should it be more how thoughtful we get back to them on that email? The, it's the cataclysmic fresh start. It's it's from Wendy Wood. It's like when Michael Bowden said, hey, maybe we should be thinking about corporations. Uh, we should be thinking more about redundancy within a corporation re- and, and less about optimization, which I think was Christian Hunt's term. Yeah, Christian Hunt talked about that. We had, yeah. we had a lot of people talk about this idea that we need to rethink some of our assumptions that we just ran with because as you know as Kristen said we are just going we are going so quickly so fast and this is a pause and so pauses allow us a time to think I I go back to uh, that statement uh, I think the Viktor Frankl right it's the there's a moment between stimulus and response and and in that moment is where we get to make that decision and when that stimulus and the response just gets so connected that we don't stop that 
that's where we run into issues. So, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Kurt? What what struck you in our conversation with Kristen? Quora teams. Quarantine teams. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I just saw, I just got an email today and it was, she's written an article about it. I have not read it yet, but, um, you know, she wrote a whole article on, on this too. So I think we got the scoop, although it, this came out, the, the, the article actually came out before. You and I got the scoop. <laughs> yeah, we got the scoop, but it's an interesting concept. And we've, we've talked about this on weekly grooves now, and we've talked about it on a couple other, um, you know, times that we've had conversations is this idea that, Hey, there, you know, the people who are living alone, who have been quarantining alone, have a much rougher time of things than people who have a spouse or a family or maybe have roommates that they're living with, right? There are differences about being stuck inside without human contact and being alone, physically alone, versus being stuck in your house with with others. And this idea of being able to maybe have a group of people who are alone and setting up some rules, but making sure that it's safe, that you are the the group of people that are going to be my quote unquote nuclear family that I am okay with. I thought that was fantastic. It's a yeah. great idea. Katie and I uh, drove past a fraternity house on the University of Minnesota campus uh, recently and saw a bunch of students who I don't know if they live there or not, but they were all sitting on the lawn in, you know, respectively six, 10 feet apart, all of them. And it was like, okay, this is, they're, they're finding a way of, of being social and, and limiting their risk at the same time. Yeah. And, and that looked to me like a quarantine. Yeah. yeah. And you think through the way that, you know, people have been responding to this and we talked about uh, quarantine fatigue uh, in, in oh, our yeah. weekly grooves issue. Um, and that's real, right? Yeah. Uh, quarantine fatigue yeah. is real. And this is a way that can maybe help people not feel as much of the fatigue because you're getting actual human contact. If you set up this nuclear quarantine that you guys agree that you will act like you would normally and you're, you're safe and different pieces of that, but you're coming together, you can have that pat on the back. You can have that hug, right? You can set up those rules. So that works for that group of two, three, four, five people, whatever that would be. And I think it's something that, again, from a behavioral science perspective would have been really good for policymakers to be thinking about Absolutely. At the beginning of this to say, right. hey, if you are living alone, we don't know how long this is going to last. You may want to determine who you want to be able to be in touch with, literally, yeah. not just, uh, you know, the pun. Not just metaphorically. Intended. Yeah. Pun was intended there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and set up the, these rules and maybe have some guidelines around what that is you know i i liked the oh because it requires yeah it really it requires some intentionality it requires intentionality it requires some conversation and yeah. you know it's it's that so yeah there you go and yeah. it's vulnerable conversations right it's like saying hey here are here are the rules here's what's going on it, yes uh, so along those lines it would have been really great if policymakers could have helped with providing some conversation guides for yeah 
here's how to approach these kinds of scenarios. Here's some ideas to think about. Here's some ways to to manage um, really challenging situations that we're just not familiar with. We don't have any experience in it in our lifetimes. Yeah. So, so uh, but smart people could think through that and offer some ideas, could have thought caught through it. And, and I, I'm not pointing fingers, by the way. That's not my intention at all. You but. just pointed your finger at me. What are you talking about? <laughs> you well, were just going, I, I point, do that. Point. I do that all the time, though. I mean, that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean anything, does it? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. What else? What else, Tim? How about context? Yeah. How about context, right? Uh, love, I loved it when uh, when Kristen brought up that, that paper about uh, the relocation study. Yes, and that was just a great reminder that if if you're if you if you change the context in your life if you if you relocate and then adopt new behaviors in those first few months, though those things are likely to to change. And so that's a metaphor potentially for what we're going through right now. This could be the time to start something new. Behavior change is hard, and so yeah. it's this fresh start piece. But it's this larger element of we can take this to. Uh, this element of saying, yes, if we start on those new habits now, then we can get them established. It's that that new environment that context is mat- context matters. Yeah. Uh, what I wonder is how will that affect the tremendous number of people who are working in the corporate world from home for, for the first time that they've been traditionally going into an office. Now they're working home and they're spending more hours in front of the computer that they are working longer days. You know that there's higher levels of activity. Is that is that necessarily a good thing? No. <laughs> if, you're, if you're asking me, is working longer hours, being in front of a computer, a good thing? No. Uh, you know, she also mentioned that that remote remote work may not be as productive because there's less public accountability. I don't know. That was the one piece I might have a little. Uh, disagreement with because I've talked with other people and we've had conversations like with Liz Fosseline and various different things. Part of being, part of the productivity that you get is that you get uninterrupted work time. And so you may not have the accountability to that work, but the work time that you do have is often more productive if you can have a setup that is not you know you're not working in the in the kitchen with two kids running around and a variety of other factors that go into it but for many yeah. people being able to work from home is less distracting you are you're not you know spending time commuting you're not having those interruptions of people walking by and various different things which lends itself into its own issues but from a pure productivity perspective you can be more productive in sitting in front of a, a computer because you can spend two hours of uninterrupted time and get your work done and have those long times of deep thinking that is so required, almost going up to you know what, what she talked about up at the front, which is that attention, right? Our attention is our greatest gift and yeah. we, can have, we can spend, put some attention into what we're doing. So, um, but with that, I think it's, it's a good piece, right? It's, yeah. it's a good thing to think about in, in changing your behavior. There was, a, there was another tip that she offered about starting minute, uh, meetings five minutes late. I like that. Again, uh, you know, we, we talk about being more productive. You, you're not more productive if you're back to back to back to back on, on Zoom calls or, right, right. or Google meetups or whatever it is. And why is it Zoom? Zoom. Uh, I, I heard this the other day. I saw, I saw the meme. I go, 
think if you were Skype, right? Skype had 18 years of being the go-to face-to-face video conferencing that people used at home. And and all of a sudden, within a matter of, of, you know, 10 days, you just got zoomed out uh, and, and Zoom became the, the de facto yeah. thing. Like how, how screwed up is Skype that that, that happened, you know? So anyway. I, I'd love to hear from our listeners on that. I'd love, <laughs> I'd love to hear what you, what you think uh, could be the reason why Skype just got completely blown out of the water on uh, in a very short period of time. I've got yeah. my own opinions, but but yeah, oh, okay, yeah. Well, that's that's a whole different thing. Uh, yes, yeah, so um, <laughs> we went down a weird rabbit hole there. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think there. I don't even remember what you you asked. Now I just got so excited about the other thing. I actually don't think I asked anything. I think, oh, I was just talking about, well, it was just the, starting the, the five minutes late thing. Oh, five minutes that. late. Yeah. yeah. So this yeah. idea of giving ourselves that pause. And and I liked her idea of starting five minutes late as opposed to ending five minutes early because we always run over. Oh, yeah. 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 And that so was- I think that's a... That's a key observation, um, just in human nature, right? We, you know, yeah, it goes till you know fifty-five, but then we tend to fill that time at the end. I worked with a company who tried to do the uh, hour-long meetings condensed to fifty minutes and starting them on time, and then ending ten minutes early, and with this belief that if they said we're going to end ten minutes early, that most people would go a few minutes late, and they'd still end five minutes early. It never worked. It, it, it never, never worked. They thought, well, this is just like school. Wouldn't this be great? And and my instant thought was the reason it works in school is because there's a bell. There is a bell. Because there, there, everybody is on the same schedule. There's a big, obvious demarcation of this is the end of this period. And that doesn't happen at work. No. That doesn't happen in the office. That does, sure as hell doesn't happen on a Zoom call. Maybe we should have bells. Maybe we should have the time. Timers that, you know, it's like, oh, time to go. Got to go. Got to get up to go to the next class. There we go. Who needs a sound effects guy when we've got you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I thought you would just fill over that with sound effects. So that's what I was going. Uh, Yeah. And and then the, the very last piece of this is, you know, learn how to marinate. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yes. it's it's so true, yeah. right? Marinade. It takes time. It, it takes time, but man, it makes your food so much better. So there you go. Thank you for listening to the special episode of Behavior Grooves. We hope that you found it interesting and insightful. If you liked it, please let others know. We think that the topic is important, and maybe we can help in educating people about how behavioral science can help us all out in this current craziness that we are going through. Also, please let us know if you have any thoughts or ideas that would be helpful or that we could share. You can reach us through the Connect tab on the Behavioral Grooves website at www.behavioralgrooves.com or through Twitter. I'm at T. Houlihan, and Kurt is at What Motivates. We really do love hearing from you, and this topic is one that spurs lots of emotions and thought. As part of our mission, we want to expand and inform the community of people who think about positively applying behavioral science to life. 
One way that happens is through leaving reviews. If you think this podcast is beneficial and should grow, we would really appreciate to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast server you use. It only takes a few minutes and goes a long way to boost us in the algorithms that are used to generate search results. Also, please check out the show notes. We are linking to a number of resources articles, podcasts, newsletters that we vetted to bring good facts and ideas around COVID-19 and the coronavirus, its impact and ways that we can help slow down the spread. There is a lot of information that's being pushed out to everyone each day, and we are weeding through it to find good stuff so that you don't have to. We truly appreciate you listening. Now go out and wash your hands. 